Welcome everyone to another episode of the Dope Black Woman podcast. My name is Leanne Levers. I'm one of the co-founders of Dope Black Woman. And today I am joined by Dr. Kevin Henry, my gynecologist. Hi, Dr. Henry. Hi, Leanne. What's up? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So today we are going to talk about me having endometriosis. So... This is something that I had actually never heard of before I was diagnosed with it. But apparently 10% of women have endometriosis. So we're going to talk about that, get into the details of what it is and what kind of symptoms that women experience alongside alongside endometriosis and kind of what the options are for treatment. So thank you for joining me and I'm looking forward to going down memory lane. No problem. Let's get into it. Um, before we do, one of our kind of standard questions that we all ask all of our guests is, what makes you a dope black person? So you're a man. What makes you a dope black man? What makes me a dope black man? Um, that's kind of putting me on the spot. <laughs> but um, What we like to do. You know, I would say that I... What makes me a dope black man? Um... I think that my personality speaks to always trying to give or always trying to help, um, which is a part of the reason why I chose to do what I do. So I think that enabling women or, you know, being able to give back, not only in terms of my services medically, but being able to educate, being able to support, being able to provide an outlet for persons to be able to you know, gain or garner information or access or educate. That is what I think my strengths or dopeness is. (laughs) So that's what I would lean towards. And actually, I have to concur with that because one of the reasons that I, when I met you and subsequently stuck with you as my OBGYN is because your bedside manner, I think that's what you call it as a doctor, was very straightforward and practical, but also just very gentle and kind. And it's interesting because I think many people, when I tell them that I have, and actually historically, I've pretty much always had men as my gynecologist, which is, I think, Mm. unusual, or most of my girlfriends think think it's unusual. Um, I mean, what I have found is that it's literally half and half. So like, we're not half and half. So some women, strictly only want to see a male gynecologist some women only want to see a female gynecologist and then some women it doesn't matter like whoever have they given you reasons for wanting to only see men as gynecologists because i know i have particular reasons but what what would you say that other women so well specifically for men they think that surprisingly they think that men are actually more gentle than the women like a lot of them were like oh every time i went like i went to a female gynecologist one time and she was so rough and you know you would think that since we're both women she would understand but when i went to a male gynecologist it was much better so that's usually the reason i find that men maybe because they don't they're not so sure of what women tangibly feel when they're being examined or anything are much more careful. Whereas women, I think make an assumption or other women or the women that I've experienced as our gynecologist make an assumption that they know what other women are experiencing. So they 
they don't take into account. Or like compare it to their own experiences. I don't know. Since yeah. they're women as well. So like, okay, you know, I don't know if that is it, but yeah, that's what I found. And what made you want to become an OBGYN in general? Like specifically, what made you specialize after you finished medicine and everything? Well, when I was in med school, uh, it is it's, it was one of the things that I liked. So I started, so in med school here, we do, we split it. So when you're in fourth year, you do obstetrics. And then when you're in final year, you do obstetrics and gynecology. So when I did obstetrics, I was like, all right, this is kind of interesting. And then there was an opportunity for us to do an elective. So we could go away for a month to do whatever. And at the time I had some friends from Croatia. That's another long story, but I had some <laughs> friends over there in medicine. So I decided, hmm. all right, let me go over there and, you know, do an elective there. And I did it in ONG over there. And I was like, yeah, I think that this is it. Yeah, when I was done, I was thinking, all right, I definitely get to do ONG. So I applied for ONG, but before you get in, you have to do a one-year period as a senior house officer where you can choose to do whatever you want to do. So for six months, I did plastic surgery, and I really, 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 really like plastic surgery. So it was going to be between ONG and plastics, but my heart was already in ONG. So okay, that's that, and here we are. Wow. Well, I'm glad you chose OBGYN. <laughs> I'm glad yes, you chose yes, that yes, path. Yes, indeed. You saved me from a, a lot of pain. So actually, this question is slightly personal and probably a question I've been meaning to ask you for a while because all of my other male gynecologists have been older and married and I don't actually don't know if you're married or not. Um, no, I'm not. You're not married. I didn't think so because I, I don't think I've ever noticed a ring on your finger. So, um, how does being an OBGYN affect your dating life or does it? Because Kingston's quite small. And so, you know, like what happens when a girl that you think is fit walks in? <laughs> I promise you that is the most common question. I mean, random, well, actually sometimes random patients will ask me that, but most of my friends will ask me that, you know, like, oh, doesn't it affect anything? You see in vaginas all day long. So yeah. When you go home and, you know, you're with your girlfriend, is it the same? Or, you know, if a hot girl comes into the office, whatever. Nah, it literally doesn't, it doesn't affect me in any way whatsoever. And speaking to my colleagues, it's the same. So it is, my mind is programmed that this is my job. That's right. It, right. This is my job. So even if you're my friend, so I, you can come in and we're talking and you're laying the patient. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we step outside, you're Leon, my friend, let's go to crew and have a drink. You know what I mean? That, that's just how it is. It, my mind is just programmed like that. So I can't see it any other way. I also ensure that I, you know, I have to respect my profession and I have to respect what I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is important to be when, as, I'm, as a male, when you are in the profession or in the specialty that I'm in, which is dealing with only females, you have to ensure that, you know, there is a, a, a strict line of professionalism mm -hmm. um, that you so that your patients can understand that you respect them and they respect you, you right know? because in the same way people will ask that question about you know how do you do it there are patients that occasionally will try to test you you know mm. they will be a little bit more forward or a little bit and you just have to draw the line to let them know that you know that's not happening that's not gonna happen so Fair work enough. is just work and that's it 
you know okay that's a good answer i guess it's yeah. it's if it's the honest answer which i'm sure it is <laughs> it definitely is it definitely is um so as i said the reason that i met you just to backtrack this was like a year ago now or just over a year ago um i was with my girlfriend Catherine, and i started having these horrendously bad cramps and leading up to it i'd kind of been having pain every day um, but i was having periods as usual and so i went to a doctor and um a woman gynecologist interestingly enough and I said, you know, I'm really bloated. I'm having all of these issues. And, um, you know, my periods are really painful. And I'm having kind of this daily pain, regardless of whether I'm having a period or not. And when I went, I, one day it was so bad that it actually, I actually ended up going to the emergency. And interestingly enough, the person said to me, oh, maybe you have fibroids. And sure enough, I had a small fibroid, but they said, oh, you know, the fibroid isn't big enough for you to be caught. Exactly. So I went to a female gynecologist and I explained to her my issue. And she was just like, I think you're just getting fat and your period is just changing because you're hormonal and you're getting older. You're 37. So maybe we should just schedule you, schedule you in for some plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, wow. And I was like, she just called me fat and old. And then she was like, pause. Actually, let's not do the plastic surgery because you haven't had any kids yet. So where are the babies? And I said, well, I don't have a partner right now. So, so she, I, I don't... That, that doctor is also a plastic, meaning they do cosmetic surgery as well? Or they just referred, or they wanted I, to refer you? To I guess she surgery. was going to refer me. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But it seemed like such a common question. Like, it seemed like she was, this is something that people, happen, that happens to people all the time. She's like, yeah, we'll just schedule you in for a tummy tuck and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who knows me, I'm certainly not, I'm not super skinny, but I'm also not like morbidly obese either. So, <laughs> so <laughs> my belly was yeah. bloated. And the first thing she said to me was, let's have a tummy tuck. Not like maybe you should try some diet and exercise or. Right. Exactly. But then she said, pause, let's get it together and get you some babies. And then we'll schedule the tummy tuck for after you've had your first kid. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so, okay. so I immediately left her. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, th- that wouldn't if, if, if your primary issue as well was pain, mm-hmm. which is the usually the primary thing that affects patients that have endometriosis, clearly a tummy tuck is not going to help you with your pain, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. I'd, I'd, yeah. I think actually, yeah, you're right. She didn't actually even address the issue address of the pain. pain. She was more concerned about the fact that I was bloated. Um, which is interesting. So then I asked a bunch of my girlfriends for referrals. And one of my good girlfriends who was actually on the podcast last time during my last episode, Kimilu, she heard that you were a great doctor and she recommended you. And she knows that I usually go to male gynecologists anyway. So then I went and I told you about these symptoms. So she, she told you to come to me? Yeah. She was like, try, try Dr. Henry. Okay, that's good. Meaning that... <laughs> It's good that that's just for me, as in it's good that somebody that is not my patient would be referring me based on what they've heard, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's good. 
She had never actually been to you, but she said she's heard great things. And all of her friends that do go to you or did go to you um, right. only had positive things to say. So I should you learn a point. Thanks, wherever you are. Thanks, Kimilu. You saved both of us. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so, yes, yeah, so I came to you and we had a conversation. And as I said, I'd never really heard about endometriosis before um, us engaging in this discussion as a possibility. And you certainly did right. your due diligence. So maybe talk about a little bit about um, what endometriosis is and maybe the process that you and I went through in terms of determining that I actually had endometriosis. Right. So before we go into what endometriosis is, I think it's it's important. I mean, when we go into the symptoms and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of understand a little bit better. But endometriosis is very common. So as you said, one in 10 women have endometriosis at some point, you know, in their reproductive career. Um, but because the symptoms are a lot of the symptoms are non-specific, what we call non-specific, so it doesn't necessarily fit one diagnosis only. Mm-hmm. It is often missed or overlooked, and that is a big, big problem that we have, right? So it's a, it's an issue as well culturally, because all right. So let's go to endometriosis. Endometriosis <laughs> is essentially when the endometrium, which is the inside lining of the uterus, that's what you normally shed every month when you see a period, it's only supposed to be inside the uterus. It grows during the month and then you shed it to when your period comes, mm-hmm. right? So the endometrium is basically there. It's that lining that's there preparing for a pregnancy. Because when you get pregnant, that's where the fetus comes and grows there. So if you're not, if you don't get pregnant, then you shed it and it just grows back. You shed it, it grows back. And that happens month after Mm -hmm. month after month. Sometimes for some reason, which is still unknown to us completely, we still haven't come, you know, completely understood what the cause is, but sometimes that, that same endometrial lining can exist outside of the uterus. So the common places for it to exist outside of the uterus are in your pelvis, and in your pelvis can be anywhere from behind the uterus, on top of the uterus, on your ovaries, on your fallopian tubes, on your bowel. It can exist in your rectum. Sometimes it can even exist in your lungs. Right? Yeah. And it kind of eats away at your those spaces, right? Well, it doesn't eat away. But what happens is it behaves in the same way that the lining on the inside of the uterus behaves when you see a period. So when you normally have your period, it gets, that lining gets very inflamed and it can start to contract and when it's shedding. Mm -hmm. So you will have that same inflammation and pain and cramping and all of that effect is happening on the inside, wherever it's deposited. So normally that's just inside the uterus, then you should just have, you know, mild to moderate cramps and then it goes away. When you have endometriosis, you're having those mild to moderate cramps inside the uterus and then you're having on top of that pain from, the endometriotic deposits all over right so that's what really heightens the pain and that's also the reason that you get the pain when your period comes because that's when it flares up so all of the effects of the hormones that you would have during your period it also triggers the endometriotic deposits to flare up as well got you and so depending on where those deposits are will determine the, the symptoms that you have so as i said the primary thing is pain so Imagine you're having normal cramps during your period, 
and now there's this those cramps are also occurring inside your pelvis in addition to what is going on wow. it is just yeah. magnified or amplified um because of where those deposits can be sometimes oftentimes patients will complain that they have pain during sex so deep down in the you know or high up i should say in the vagina which is near where the pelvis is during intercourse that area gets you know irritated and so you have a lot of pain there um you can have pain if, if you have deposits that are now lodged deep down like near your rectum you can have pain when you're passing stool if you have deposits which are like on your bladder you can have pain or discomfort when you're urinating so it's a lot of things that will aggravate it and then sometimes or commonly those symptoms as a, as i referred to before only happen during your period so right. I said, Doc, I'm fine throughout the month, but during my period, when I am trying to pass stool, it is like hell. You know, I'm having this excruciating pain. Some persons even have bleeding, you know, when they're defecating or, you know, when I'm trying to pee, it is so painful during my period. And then once my period is done, I'm fine. I'm back to normal. Wow, that's so, so interesting. Because I think you and I went through this as well. So, and it's different for every woman, right? Because I was having daily pain. Right. Um. And so that's something with endometriosis as well. So it, the pain that you get with it usually stays on even after your period. Right. So when you're having just normal menstrual cramps, it should only be when your period starts to when your period ends, right? If you're having pain that is coming on before your period actually starts, you know, a couple of days before you're starting to feel this strong pain. And then when your period comes, it's like there is a war inside you. Mm -hmm. And then when your period is done, it, it kind of cools down, but it's still there lingering or, you know, you're still, you know, feeling pain up to one week after your period. That's, that's not normal. Something mm -hmm. is wrong. And that should raise a red flag for endometriosis, you know? So that's something that women should be looking out for when... Definitely. They're... Definitely. But yeah, that, so, just... that's, so, so that's what I was saying before in terms of cultural, so especially in Jamaican or society, you know, it's, well, not only our society all over it sometimes you're kind of not taught but the expectation as a woman is that yes when you period come you're going to feel pain so you just need to bear it so just you know just go through it everybody else has period pains that kind of thing um but that shouldn't be the case you know if you're feeling pain that you think is not normal or if it if it's if it's very very painful to you then get it checked out because it may be something else you know and a lot of women, I think that is a lot of patients that come to me mm -hmm. is two things. They say, boy, I've been having this pain for so long, but everybody or every other doctor that I went to just told me, oh, it's just regular cramps or my, you know, my parents or my whoever said, oh, it's just cramps. Like everybody will get it. So I didn't think that it was anything. Or it will be a case where they themselves just ignored it because they thought that, you know, it's just something to that worry about. Do. It's just something that, yeah, it's just whatever. So, um, or if they go to a doctor, the doctor will tell them the same thing, you know? So that's what I, that's what I meant by the, the symptoms are a lot of times non-specific because pelvic pain can be due to an infection. It can be due to, you know, something with the bowel. It can be due to a whole lot of other things that doesn't necessarily fit endometriosis per se. And if you right. don't, if you don't know how the symptoms of endometriosis present or know about it, then it wouldn't automatically click to say, you know, this this sounds like it could be that. 
Well, it's interesting because I think one of the things when I was doing my research, so as a, just to provide some context, so I was having daily pain, but there were days when that pain would literally leave me on the floor. Like I would, I would throw up from, from the pain itself. Yeah. Um, there were days my girlfriends, Jeline and Catherine would have to come and like, give me my hot water bottle and give me medicine and like clean up my house for me. And I was, yeah. I think I was screaming at my partner every day, God bless him. Cause I was just in pain and frustrated and yeah. annoyed. But as you said, culturally, I think, and I, as you said, it's not just Jamaica, but I think black women in general, are taught and i think this is part of the issue that we see around maternal health now is mm -hmm. that uh, i think statistically black women are less likely to get endometriosis than their white counterparts but they're also less likely to have it be be diagnosed largely because their pain is more likely to be dismissed right. so the stat or i think the american statis statistic is that 40 percent of black women in the u.s were told that they had pelvic inflammatory disease when they had endometriosis exactly. And actually, or it's more likely to be diagnosed as PID, pelvic inflammatory disease, or they're mm -hmm. more likely to focus on the issue of fibroids, which black women are more likely to have, but ignore the endometriosis side. So that's something that you've noticed as well, like within your profession. Definitely, for sure. And so, well, going back to infection, that is that is a common um, diagnosis that, you know, can present. But there are, so there are things that we can look out for as gynecologists to determine if we think that, yes, you know, you're prone or, you know, we think it's more likely to be PID versus like an endometriosis picture. That is not to say that in the workup of endometriosis, we aren't going to look for everything that it could potentially be. Um, but yeah, with, so with PID, usually you would have had a history of having an STD before. Right. Um, more, more commonly, either chlamydia or gonorrhea. So if you have a history of that, and now you're presenting with pelvic pain, then yeah, it could, it could possibly be PID. The other thing with PID though, is that it doesn't usually flare up in terms of the pain. The pain is heightened okay. or exacerbated during your period or around the time of your period, because unlike endometriosis, and that's because of the hormonal effect of it, right? So PID isn't affected by your hormones. Endometriosis is. So that is why around the time of your period, you get the worst pain, you know? So there are a lot of things in your history and in terms of how you present and your symptoms that we would know how to tease out to determine what we think it likely could be. But I mean, you know, it's still, the important thing is to get it checked out and not just assume that, you know, hey, this is nothing. It's no big deal. Definitely, if you're at the point of, you know, curl up on the floor, can't go to work, can't go to school, vomiting, like that is very, very severe pain, you know? Yeah, Funnily, but I actually had, go ahead. It's common. I had a friend who, very similar to you, and I operated on her as well. And it was the same thing. She said that when she was going to school, she would have these really, 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 really severe pains. And you know, they told her, oh, just go to the nurse, like, just get some Panadol and you'll be fine. Yeah. Everybody else has their periods to the point where it was also kind of like period shaming in the sense that, you know, mm -hmm. why is this girl being so dramatic? Like every month is the same thing. She's going to be complaining. She can't do this. She can't do that because just of her period. Just don't want to do work. It does say exactly. And, you know, that in and of itself 
as, as somebody who is experiencing the pain, you are then going to start to think, well, maybe I am the problem. Why is it that every other girl you know, or every other woman is able to bear the pain and I can't bear the pain? Maybe it is that I just need to increase my tolerance and just deal with it, you know? And so that also delays you getting checked out, which is a problem. Yeah, yeah definitely. You know? So, um, as I said before, you and I went through a process. I came to you and you said, well, these are the possibilities, but it does sound like endometriosis. We confirmed yeah. that I did actually have a fibroid, which black women are more prone to getting, right? Um, and then I had some scar tissue from previous surgeries that I had done and kidney donation, that kind of thing, which the listeners would know about. I've talked about my kidney donation before. So yeah, talk through the process of like diagnosing endometriosis. Okay, so diagnosing. So the, all right, so the 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 way that we diagnose endometriosis or the gold standard of diagnosing endometriosis is a procedure called laparoscopy, um, which is what you did eventually. Right. So laparoscopy is basically a type of surgery where we use a camera, and we pass that through the belly button to go down into the pelvis to look and see if we can identify any endometriotic deposits. And if we see the endometriotic deposits, we take a sample, we, you know, we take a biopsy, we send that to the lab, they test it, they confirm that it's endometriosis. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that is the absolute way to, to diagnose it. So you actually have to go in before you, there's no way of diagnosing so, prior to so, actually right, taking so, a biopsy. So that's the thing. So you can't absolutely 100% diagnose endometriosis without having that surgery done, right? Okay. So having said that, though, it doesn't mean that everybody with endometriosis has to have surgery. Right. So there are other things that we look for. So a part of your workup would definitely be um, a baseline pelvic ultrasound or an abdominal pelvic ultrasound. So we would look in the pelvis to see if we're seeing an endometriotic deposit itself, if it's large enough. Or sometimes if the endometriosis is collecting in your ovary, then you can get a cyst, which just contains a lot of endometriosis. Okay. Um, and we can see that on ultrasound. However, it, if it's not, so the, the, the baseline would be an ultrasound. An ultrasound. Mm -hmm. We can also do an MRI, which is, you know, gives you much more clarity and quality. So an MRI can also be done to look, to see if we're seeing any of the endometriotic deposits. So that is actually more sensitive to pick it up than an ultrasound. However, which is what I explained to all my patients, right? A lot of times endometriosis in terms of the deposits are not picked up by these radiological scans. So you may do an ultrasound and you see nothing. You may do an MRI and you see nothing, but that doesn't mean that endometriosis is not there because that's very common as well. So a lot of times we do it, we don't see anything, but your symptoms suggest endometriosis. So we, we actually diagnose it based on your symptoms. Right. And then we treat you accordingly, right? So it's what we call sometimes a diagnosis of exclusion, which means that we have to, because you have pelvic pain, we have to go through and look to make sure that it is nothing else that's causing your pelvic pain. So you'll and go through and check that it's not PID, that it's not... Right. Etc. So check to make sure that it's not PID. Make sure that it's not like you know a large fibroid that you have that is breaking down that's causing you pain. Make sure that it's not a cyst that you have in the ovary. Make sure it's that it's not something you know in your bowel like inflammatory bowel disease or something like that. So there are a lot of other things that we have to 
rule out to make sure that it's not that. And if we have successfully ruled out that and your symptoms fit in terms of the endometriosis picture, then we can assume diagnose it confidently without necessarily having to do surgery, you know? So that is also a, 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 a reason for doing doing your ultrasound or doing your MRI because it also helps to diag to rule out other things. So if I do your MRI and I don't see an endometriotic deposits, but I see a large cyst on your ovary for, right. for you know, for example, I mean the pain could be due to that as well, you know, that kind of thing. For PID, pelvic inflammatory disease, which we said you get from contracting an STD before. We mm -hmm. would do a full STD screen to make sure that you don't have any STDs that could be causing that type of pain and that type of thing, you know? And we did all of that collectively. Right. So we did the screening. You did see a fibroid, but we ac we acknowledged that it wasn't sizable enough to be causing to the, be level, causing of the pain. level of pain that you're having. And what you explained and to me is like, so, because how bad does the endometriosis have to be? Does the, does the, quantity of deposits compared to the level of pain that women have how does that work it doesn't so also important to know that the the amount of endometriosis that is there doesn't necessarily automatically correlate with the level of pain that you're having so you can have very mild endometriosis meaning when we go in it is just one small deposit small meaning like smaller than a watermelon seed right one little oh. tiny deposit and you are having rip roaring pain like terrible pain and the opposite is true we can go in and the entire pelvis is full of endometriosis you know the pelvis just looks horrible with so endometriosis and there is minimal or no pain a lot of times we actually go in to do surgery for something else mm -hmm. so say you're going to do a c-section you're going to take out fibroids whatever and that is when you discover like, wow, there's a lot of endometriosis wow. here, but the patient had no pain during the period, no pain during intercourse, nothing at all, periods are regular coming every month, no issues, but you just find endometriosis. So the level of endometriosis or the degree of the disease doesn't always match up with the pain that you're having. Hmm. So we didn't actually discuss this, but how bad was my endometriosis? Like how much did you find when you actually, or what, let's talk about in addition to the endometriosis, what did you actually find and maybe talk through the process of the surgery that I had just so that people get an understanding. Cause I think particularly many of the women that I spoke to when I started speaking about this on social media, mm -hmm. um, you know, were very adamant about some were adamant about me not doing surgery and some were very adamant about me definitely doing surgery. And part of the reason right. that some people were so reticent for me to do surgery or suggested that I don't have surgery was around just the idea of surgery in general. And people, I think, particularly within the black community, have very um, are nervous about going under and that kind of thing. So maybe for just sure. walk us through what my surgery entailed. Right. So your surgery, from what I remember, <laughs> um, you're right. So we did the laparoscopy. So that's, as we said, where we take the camera, we go in and we look. So the camera, the instruments that we use, it has a camera on it to have a big screen so we can see everything and it's, it's magnified. So we can see very, very small deposits on the screen. From what I remember, you had, it wasn't a lot of endometriosis that was there. You know, it was maybe two or three very tiny deposits that were there. 
which we removed and we sent that off for testing and it came back confirming that there was endometriosis. And then, as you said, we had known that there was a fibroid from before, so we took out that small fibroid. Right, and you didn't um, take out the fibroid laparoscopically? No, and that was because of the location of where the fibroid was. Mm-hmm. So it would have been difficult to take that out laparoscopically, so we just made a small a small cut in the lower part of the tummy. We had a scar there already, so we just went right. through the same scar and just took out the fibroid through there. But it would it was it would it was important to do the endometriosis part via laparoscopy mm-hmm. because when you do it via open surgery, so that's where we just made the cuts, like the same cut that we took out the fibroid. Yeah. Sometimes because the deposits are so so small, you can't see it with just the naked eye. Okay. So we may have gone and taken out the fibroid, looked behind, not seen any deposits with our eyes, and assumed that nothing is there. Your pelvis is fine close up back and that's it and then you're still having pain right and laparoscopically is actually a very safe like non-invasive procedure for the most part so it's it's invasive because we have to go in so once you have to enter through the right. skin and yeah so it's invasive but it is the gold standard that is how um surgery is done worldwide for endometriosis um, and laparoscopy has a lot of advantages over open surgery you most of the times you it's you you have a much faster recovery there is less blood loss there are less complications in terms of injury and that type of thing you can return to work faster your your routine activities you can return much faster um so it is not as as tedious or burdensome as open surgery in terms of your recovery period especially right right? like a couple of days versus several weeks right Right. So if we did, so you would return to work maybe in like two weeks versus if it was open surgery, maybe four to six weeks. Right. So, yeah. So that's definitely the benefit of laparoscopy. And as I said, we can see everything much bigger. Magnified. So, yeah, definitely gold standard. But I mean, before we even get to surgery, there are other, we start with treatment with medication first which we did with you as well right, right. So, so we I don't have... want people to think that we just jump straight to surgery you know um no it wasn't that usually we try with medication first and part of the reason for trying with medication one is obviously to try and help you in terms of your symptoms with the pain right. and two if it is that your symptoms respond to the medication that we give you then it is even more of a, it, we're even more confident to say, yeah, man, definitely this is endometriosis, you know? So the, cause I went on a particular medication that has now been kind of ascribed specifically to treat, um, or it's, it's ad- recommended to treat endometriosis, right? Right. And does that actually shrink the deposits or does it just address the symptoms? So, all right. So, we can all right let's go through the different modalities so you can as the as the first line what we would do is start you on like a a hormonal contraceptive Mm -hmm. um along with a pain medication so like uh like an NSAID which would be like most people would know cataflam voltaren Mm -hmm. so that's a that's a that's an anti-inflammatory pain medication because there's a lot of inflammation with endometriosis so we need something to counteract that inflammation so we'd start off with that for the pain, and then the contraceptive pill would be for 
the hormonal effects. So the hormone effect from the contraceptive pill helps to suppress the endometriosis. Okay. So it doesn't necessarily shrink it per se or make it disappear, but it will definitely suppress it so that it doesn't flare up as much in layman's terms, right? Um, and then there are different ways that we can give you the contraceptive pill, meaning that you can take it with you can take it, take a break for a week and then start back, which is how you routinely take it. Right. Or you can just take it continuously with no break in between. You're just taking contraceptive every day. Right. If that doesn't work, then we can then move to another hormonal medication. So you can get like the, the Depo-Provera injection, what we know out here as family planning injection. Right. Um, so we can try that, which you can get either every three months or every month. If that doesn't work, then we can try the Merino, which is an IUD that we'll put inside the uterus. Um, if that doesn't work, then we can move to another medication called Lucrin or Luprolide, which is that one essentially shuts down all of your hormones that you would normally produce from your ovaries. Okay. So giving you the, that is the one that will help to shrink the endometriosis if it is there because it, it literally shuts down all of your hormones that you that your ovaries would normally produce and so there's nothing for the endometriosis to feed off or grow from right so it kind of shrinks it the issue with that though is that because it is cutting off all your hormone supply you are then you may then start to experience symptoms um, similar to menopause so you may start to have okay. hot flashes dryness in the vagina mood swings that type of thing um, and we also can't give that medication for a prolonged period of time. So usually not longer than six months because of the, the long-term side effects of it. So okay. after six months, we have to stop. And then when we stop, the symptoms are eventually going to come back usually. You know, the one that you were on, which was Visan, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is a type of progesterone, which is a hormone, which they have found to be very effective in treating the symptoms of endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Right. Now... All medications, as we know, have side effects. Some persons are affected differently than others. Some persons will take medication and be totally fine. Some persons take some medication and, you know, they're having all of these side effects. So with you, if I remember correctly again, yeah. um, the Visan actually did work, which was good. It did work, right? yeah. It definitely but alleviated my pain. Alleviated the pain, but the side effects were, you know, unbearable from that. Yeah, so for me, I think the Visan worked really well in terms of alleviating the pain, but it also just made me super, I guess, what we would refer to um, kind of uh, in slang terms, just it made me super hormonal. So it made me really irritable. There were days when I felt like I didn't want to get out of bed to do work. So um, it, it made me less productive. And at this point in time, I had been working through the pain. So it was almost like I was used to having the pain every day. And I had been, I had become accustomed to working through it. And this did the opposite in terms of, yeah, removed my pain, but then it just made me want to do nothing. So that wasn't practical either. Um, So kind of why we will have surgery, right? Right. So that is why we decided to go ahead and the surgery, because I know that some of the other hormonal medication. When, when I remember when you first came, you were not keen on hormones at all. You're like, no. I don't want no hormones in my system. No, not interested in that. I don't yeah. want any I don't want I'm any 37. I was like, which I is, want to have some picnic soon. I just exactly. don't know how I feel about this. Which is so. which is totally fine. Which is totally fine. You know, it doesn't. So 
what we will do as well what i do as a doctor <laughs> right is i will always i try to be as empathetic towards all of my patients as i can um but i'm also very straightforward right i will try and break it down so that you can understand it to the the very basic level right so you understand exactly what is happening we will go through all of the different treatment options and then we will decide what is the best treatment option for you based on what the recommendations are from a medical perspective but more importantly from what you want you know so there are some in in the same way that you initially had said you don't want to try any hormones or you didn't want any hormones there are patients that will say doc i don't want to do any surgery right can we right. do this thing without having to do surgery so i'll just break it down and said well you can you can go on pain medication alone you can go on hormonal medication and pain medication or we can do surgery right it doesn't have to be that one is independent of the other it doesn't mean that if this one doesn't work we have to go to surgery even if you don't want surgery that's not going to happen right it's what you want and we can see what the response is from how you react to the medication then you know how you react to treatment there are also some persons that come in that say i don't want to be on any medication whatsoever i don't want to take any pill i don't want to take any tablet let's go and let's do the surgery okay let's let's do that you know so yeah. it's not a, it's not a one shoe fits all in terms of treatment you know there are different options that we can try so i know having followed your Instagram page, which we will put in the caption on this episode, that you mm -hmm. definitely explore non-medical approaches to handling things or non-traditional approaches to handling things. And when I was initially diagnosed, I think even before you diagnosed me, there was an issue. I, I was actually here in London and again, had this like on the floor, serious type pain. And my girlfriend, Jeline, who is a chemist, but also very kind of like a homeopath of sorts, mm -hmm. um, developed a very comprehensive kind of diet um, plan for me to follow, mm -hmm. which I didn't follow, actually. I'm sorry, Jeline, but I intend to follow now to help <laughs> to help keep these symptoms at bay and to make sure that endometriosis doesn't come back because you it can come back, right? So how do you, well, A, right. can it come back? And B, um, how effective have you found kind of diet and exercise to be in terms of preventing endometriosis? Maybe not necessarily stopping it from happening, but preventing mm -hmm. it in general or, or addressing it after the fact. Okay, so can it come back? Yes, it can definitely come back, right? So removing, if we go in and we, 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 we remove the deposits, um, it doesn't mean necessarily that it is the be all and end all and it will never come back. So it can always come back. Mm -hmm. um, will it? Not necessarily. Right. And sometimes even if it does come back, it is not to the degree that it was there before or your symptoms might not be as severe as it was before. Sometimes we may actually go in and unfortunately, because of the, the amount of disease that is there, you know, if we're not able to remove every, everything you will still have symptoms, but hopefully not as significant or severe that you're having before. Um, but so just to be clear, there is no cure for endometriosis, unfortunately, as it is now. Is that so something we try that, to do? Sorry, is that something that science uh, is working on? Like are, are people investing in 
so there are a lot of studies, you know, going deep into endometriosis to try and see if we can figure out what exactly the cause is. There, there are many different theories, you know, they think that it may be due to, there's a theory that it's backflow from the, that lining going through your tubes and spilling out into your pelvis that causes it. But then they said, okay, that's one theory, but then that wouldn't explain how you get it in your lungs, you know, or right. how you get it in your belly button like the blood can't get up into your lungs you know um there are theories that it could be something genetic there are theories that it could be hereditary there are theories that it could be some type of hormonal mismatch there are a lot of different theories about the cause of it and because there are theories that it could be environmental you know population wise that kind of mm -hmm. thing so because it's so multifactorial and we haven't yet understood what exactly cause it causes it it's difficult to pinpoint one thing to say this will definitely treat it. Right. Know? So what science is working hard at now is trying to identify what the cause is and also at the same time, what exactly it responds to in terms of medications for treatment. So it occurs during your reproductive years because that is the time that your ovaries are producing the hormones. So when you go into menopause and your, your ovaries shut off and they stop producing hormones, um, you don't get any symptoms from endometriosis anymore because there's no hormonal supply, right? Right. But yes, it can come back, but a lot of times with treatment, you know, it removes it once and for all and you don't have any more symptoms. In terms of diet yeah. and exercise preventing yeah. it now, the studies haven't shown that there is anything that you can do to prevent it, mm -hmm. right? But just anecdotally, what I have found is that and they have done several studies to look at diet specifically. You know, there was one time there was something about red meat. One time there was something about chicken because of all of the hormones that, you know, all of these um, animal products have. Um, there was something about, you know, increasing vegetable content. I don't, to my knowledge, there hasn't been any conclusive evidence to show that the lack of these things in a diet um, removes endometriosis or prevents it from coming. I have found, though, that exercise definitely helps in terms of controlling the symptoms, meaning mm -hmm. to make it less severe. Like I, my patients will say that, yeah, doc, when I exercise, usually, you know, it doesn't affect me as much. And I've been out of the gym for two months and, you know, it has, and I'm feeling all of this pain again, kind of thing. Right. So that's what I would say in okay. my experience. Yeah, I, I think I will, I will test this theory because I intend on following her very detailed diet plan, which was actually not getting rid of red meat, but it was more about what you're eating at various points in your cycle. Again, okay. not to prevent endometriosis, but to, as you said, kind of address the symptoms in terms of the bloating and the, um, the pain that I was experiencing at the time. What would you say now in terms of what is your pain before the surgery? on a scale of one to 10 and what is your pain now having done the surgery on a scale oh, of one to 10? I mean, it is night and day. My pain before the surgery was like eight, nine every single day. And yeah. it's interesting because I would have pain. My pain would almost start at a particular time in the day. So as of like 2 PM, I was completely mm -hmm. not productive and it would just last throughout the evening. Yeah. And I would kind of as you said, either take pain medication, which I wasn't inclined to take every day. As I said to you, the same way as I didn't want to take 
hormones. hormones. I was interested in taking pain medication every day either, largely because I just have one kidney and I know the impact of taking tablets every single day right. on your system. And now I literally have no pain. Like even when Nothing I have, I've had, yeah, yeah, I've had like two, three periods now or two periods now. And they have been even better than before I had, di- I was diagnosed with endometriosis and before I was even having pain. So it's Perfect. literally That's, night and day. This is what, this is what <laughs> every gynecologist wants to hear after having done surgery, like nothing, no pain, zero. That's good. You know, I mean, good. and actually, I know my surgery was a little bit different because I did have the fibroid removal, right? Um, which I believe that we call you call a myomectomy. Is that a myomectomy? Correct. A myomectomy, um, and that was quite painful. But I think it was largely because of, as you said, the kind of cut that we had to do and yeah, everything yeah. like that, and where the fibroid was placed. Um, I think one of the questions or one of the like glooming things that Mm -hmm. people have or women and I had actually, I think I asked you this question and so I'll ask you to answer it again is how does this affect my capacity to have children, especially as a 37 year old woman who is on the latter end of thinking about childbirth (laughs) at this stage. Um, Yeah. So talk us through that. Right. So what will happen is because so endometriosis can impact fertility meaning it can be difficult to get pregnant with endometriosis sometimes um, but it does not mean that everybody that is diagnosed with endometriosis cannot get pregnant or it's impossible to get pregnant that is something that i want to make absolutely clear because i think there's a lot of misinformation out there just in general Mm-hmm. And from things that you read on the internet, and sometimes, unfortunately, from doctors that, you know, once you have endometriosis, that's it, you won't be able to get pregnant. So what happens with endometriosis in terms of fertility is a number of things. So first of all, the endometriosis itself, the deposits can release certain chemicals, mm-hmm. which can negatively impact a pregnancy. So it can decrease the, 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 the chances of fertilization occurring, right? That's just off the bat from endometriosis itself. Usually though, what happens is that where the deposits are, if it causes a blockage in one of the fallopian tubes or both of the fallopian tubes, then it is going to be difficult to get pregnant because you over-releases an egg, it goes into the tube, when you have sex, the sperm comes up and the egg and the sperm meet in the tube. And so you can imagine that if there is a roadblock in the tube, egg can't meet the sperm. So therefore it's going to be difficult for you to get pregnant. Right. And what we find is that a lot of times when the endometriosis deposits around the tube, it can cause the tube to then become blocked. So if it is that you have endometriosis and you're trying to get pregnant, one of the things that we would do is to check the tubes to ensure that there is no obstruction or blockage in the tube, right? Right. The inflammation, the next thing is that the inflammation that results from endometriosis can cause you to have a lot of scar tissue on the inside. So that scarring or that scar tissue can often change the shape of the tube or bend the tube or kink it, which also causes obstruction or damage to that tube. And so because a tube may be damaged, again, it's going to be difficult for you to get pregnant through that damaged tube. If you have 
endometriosis now that has deposited like all over your ovary and that has caused you to have like a large cyst from the endometriosis what we call an endometrioma that may affect the ability for that ovary to produce eggs or release eggs okay right so because a lot of the anatomy may be changed based on you know just the, where the deposits are where the scar tissue is where the inflammation is it can cause you know effects on either your tube or your ovaries or both and that can happen on one side or both sides and so that is how it can impact your fertility negatively that being said though it doesn't mean that if you have endometriosis you will never be able to get pregnant or you can't get pregnant right so that is important to go through as well because that is also sometimes how endometriosis presents you know a patient coming in and saying, doc, I've been trying for X amount of time and right. I haven't been able to get pregnant. When we do investigations, we realize that one or both tubes are blocked. And then when we delve further, we realize, okay, the patient has, or when we go to surgery, we look, we see, okay, there's a lot of endometriosis here. And that is why the tubes are blocked. And that is why you're having difficulty getting pregnant. But it doesn't mean that you can't get pregnant. Good to know. I mean, you told me this already, but it's always nice to hear. Yes. <laughs> and as well, it doesn't, so sometimes we, we think that, well, I found that patients believe that if it is that they aren't able to get pregnant naturally, mm -hmm. um, that it is a failure on their part. And that, you know, is further, furthest from the truth. So even if it is that you aren't able to get pregnant by natural means, there are a lot of, a lot of other alternatives or options that we can do in terms of higher fertility mm -hmm. to, 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 to get you pregnant or to aim to get you pregnant, you know? So it doesn't mean that endometriosis is there and one of my tubes is blocked. It is impossible for me to get pregnant. That is not the case for sure. Amazing. Well, Dr. Henry, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I think it was really insightful. As I said, it, I don't think endometriosis is something that we talk about very often. Yeah. Um, and actually, when I did start talking about it, so many women kind of slid into my DMs to talk about their personal experiences. And for some reason, it's something that many women seem to experience, as, you, as we said, one in 10 women but not many women are talking about. So I think it was really important and really insightful for us to have this conversation. And for thank sure. you so much for addressing this. I mean, literally no the year and a half that prior to meeting you, I had been experiencing pain every single day. Yeah. And and now I'm not. So <laughs> <laughs> Good. But I think it's also important as well for more women who have been diagnosed with endometriosis who have had you know different treatments that type of thing to speak up more about it so that you know other women will be empowered to go and get it checked out and to get it you know treated because it it, it it shouldn't be that women are living in pain for yeah. something that can be diagnosed and can be treated you know so i think that that is in 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 an in as important as it is for me to talk as much as I can about it and to educate, it's also important for women to seek help when it is that they are having pain, that they're not sure what's going on. And for patients who have been diagnosed with endometriosis to go through their process, their struggles, their, you know, their concerns, their symptoms, and, you know, what happened, what worked for them, what didn't work, that type of thing. Yeah, so no, definitely. More women pain-free. Yeah. Thing. 
Yeah, definitely. And as you said, everybody's experience is different. So it's really important for women to share. And I hope this episode actually encourages more women to talk about this in our WhatsApp groups, on our platform, in our Facebook groups, and just amongst your friends and family. Um, so thank you for joining me and thank you for sharing this this conversation with me. It was really nice and uh, no problem. really important. So thank you. No problem. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Don't forget to share, subscribe, like. We release episodes every Thursday. On Instagram, we are Dope Black Women One. On Twitter and Facebook, we are Dope Black Women. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.